the menorah. It's the shape of a lamp. There's a middle spine, and then there are three branches side by side. And the artist decided not to put the pictures in chronological order, but rather a comparison where one depiction may be of Isaiah, and Isaiah is compared to Jeremiah. One prophet speaking of peace, but yet the other prophet speaking of destruction. The central spine was the most important, uh, the central branch was the most important thing that Elkin wanted to decorate and talk about the history of Israel. And so there was a scripture that's on the bottom that says, by Zechariah that says, not by might, nor by power, but by my spirit, says the Lord. These are the words that were taken from Zechariah that represent the menorah. And he thought it was very important that represented Israel. He wanted to indicate that the people, the power of Israel wasn't in their physical strength, but rather it was in their spiritual strength. Isn't that what we're taught today? So let's take a look at the central part of the menorah. So this first one is actually a picture of Moses. It really depicts Exodus 17, 7 and 13. The place was called Messiah, testing, and Mariva quarreling, because the people of Israel, they were testing Adonai. They had the question, is Adonai for us? And this is when the Amalekites fought Israel. And Moses said, choose men for us. Go out and fight the Amalekites. Tomorrow I will stand at the top of the hill with God's staff in my hand. And Joshua did as Moses had told him and fought the Amalekites. And then Moses and Aaron and Hur went to the top of the hill and Moses raised his hands. And you know the story, Israel prevailed. However, when Moses' hand got tired, that's when they started losing. And he had to have Aaron on one side and her on the other side to hold his hand up. And they defeated the Amalekites during sunset. So this picture depicts Moses holding his hands up. And really it's saying that we, we will prevail, but it is through the grace of God that we will prevail. And we will fall if we do not have God's support. We cannot do what we do in our own strength and our own energy. And I think that that's still relevant today. We will prevail, but it is through God's grace. And we have to imagine I have to remember, shall I say, that he is the one that keeps us up, that we are going to go through tremendous odds. And to have that first picture in the center 
it reminds Israel once again of where their strength comes from. The second one in the center is the picture of the Ten Commandments. In Exodus 19 and 20, Adonai gives Moses instruction to prepare the people to remind them who they are and who he wants to be for them. It's an opportunity to receive clear context for their lives. Now, the menorah, the Ten Commandments appear in their traditional form, two rectangular tablets and the Ten Commandments. This is what's given at Mount Sinai. So these are the basic tenets of the Jewish faith. And the first two words are written there, and there's flames behind. I know the picture is kind of small, so you can't see it. But, you know, God gives us what we should follow. The question is, are we willing to follow it? Are we willing to do what God says and what he called us to? And when we are, it's an amazing thing. You know, what I notice as this theme goes on is that each time something happens where the Jewish people are complaining, they're quarreling, something's going wrong, and then God rescues them and he saves them. And I think this is a theme of redemption. The next one we have is Ruth and Rachel. In each situation, people had a chance to remember God. And here, when we look at Ruth, if you remember the story of Ruth, Amalek, Naomi's husband, decided to go to Moab. And that's where Ruth became the daughter-in-law. And when, unfortunately, Amalek and her two sons were killed, Ruth was the one who loved Naomi, came back, but she was the one who was obedient. I think about Amalek, he made a decision based upon what he thought was best. And you know, as we go through our life day to day, it's very easy for us to make a decision, for us not to remember to include God, to pause. You know, we live in a microwave world, and so to make things and to decide and to move at the speed of the world instead of moving at the speed of God, a lot of times it's very easy for us to forget. And so Ruth, she was obedient and she was blessed. I think that's an amazing theme that goes throughout this menorah as well as throughout the Torah. And so we also have, um, she's holding up the, um, Ruth is, let me go back. Ruth is one who represents holding the sheaves. Do you remember that Ruth went to gather the grain out in the field? But she's the foreign woman who decided to pick up what God assimilate and become part of Israel's people. And she was also part of the dynasty of Yeshua. On the other hand, Ruth, um, she's holding a candlestick with three candles, symbolizing the power of women 
in Judaism. The number of candles symbolizes the number of generations that passed between her until the birth of King David, the head of the royal family. And that's the reason for the large crown. Now, at the feet of Ruth, there's Rachel. And she's kneeling on the ground and sobbing. She's weeping. And this, in contrast, is referring back to Jeremiah 31. And in Jeremiah 31, the prophet is promising redemption. He's saying, look, your children were captive and taken away, but they will return. They will be redeemed. So yes, there is crying and there's mourning, but she will be comforted. And when we fall off track and we come back, isn't there always a promise that we will be redeemed? The next one is the vision of the Valley of Dry Bones. We've all heard the story in Ezekiel 37 that once again Adonai wants to redeem us. And Elkin designed the vision of the Valley of Dry Bones he shaped an angel wearing a large flapping cloak. I don't know whether or not you can see it. And that cloak was created for the four winds in the background. And, that, and it unites as one, and the angel is passing over the skeletons and bones that appear to be rising from the ground. And this is in accordance with the prophecy from Ezekiel. He brought me out by the Spirit of the Lord. He set me in the middle of the valley and it was full of bones. And I will make breath enter you, and you will come to life. And I will attach tendons on you, and make flesh upon you, and cover you with skin. I will put breath on you, and I will come, and you will come to life. Then you will know, I am the Lord, my people. I am going to open your graves and bring you up from there. I will bring you back to the land of Israel. The Valley of Dry Bones is a clear historic event in the Jewish community. It represents end times, but it also represents the returning of Israel. And so these were the, um, the reliefs, the snapshots of Israel's history, which is very essential, and it talked about redemption. But this one, is one of the Warsaw Ghetto Uprising. And really, if you look closely, it looks very confusing. But yet, there are hints of God being in the middle. There's two presentations of what's going on in modern day. And it describes many characters on there in the Jewish ghetto. The fighters with guns in their hands, along with armed axes, sticks, and knives. And there's different characters where there's an old Jewish man carrying a Torah scroll. There's a dead woman holding a baby in her arms. And also, um, above these stand a large man. His hands are spread out, but on his chest is a star of David pendant. The man is face turning firmly forward, and his position appears to be praying. In the left-hand corner, a warrior is seen swinging a rifle. And this is actually a self-portrait of the artist who survived 
the hospice, but he was the, the who survived the Holocaust, and he was the only one in his family. I thought this was ironic, but how perfect. In the middle of the foundation, in the center of the branch, is the Shema. The Shema prayer is considered one of the best known prayers and expresses the belief that there is one God and Israel are his elected people. Listen, Israel, the Lord is God, the Lord is one. And the prayer appears in the central branch of the menorah as expression of God being the one and only God for Israel. And it's also in the middle because it represents light to the nations. This is a, he, Elkin felt this was an essential element of all the other organs, the idea is a menorah gathering. It is what we call gathering his people. God is gathering his people to be his people. The final relief of the menorah in the central branch is called the Independence War, founding of Israel, which was when this gift was presented, it was eight years after, and at the base of the menorah, Elkin uh, placed the relief of the Independence War as an expression of the most recent significant thing that happened to the people of Israel. It depicts pioneers working on a rocky terrain, carving stones, plowing the land, building bridges, drilling wells, laying down foundation. The placement of the events at the base of the Nora may appear to contradict logic, but, and maybe it should, people might think, well, maybe that should be at the top because that's the most recent thing going on. But this picture talks about the creation of the state. And this picture is what rests on the foundation of everything else. You know, the, the artist originally requested for um, the sculpture to be placed inside of a building shining down. I know that you can't see it up close, but as you go through each relief, what's interesting is that most of the people there are looking up. They're looking up, and, he's, and he wanted to place um, lights focusing in different directions so that people could see that the people in each picture were looking up. So as I walked across the street to the Knesset, I pondered on the people standing on the history of Israel. And they are God's chosen people. And it empowers them to dance in the moment. When I think about, I was there and it was, the Sabbath was coming and the sun was going down. And I could see young people, and when I say young, I'm saying 20s. And they showed up and they had their semi-automatic, um, oh sorry, 
automatic rifles. And they were dancing. And it wasn't about the rifle. It was just what they were doing. But they were protecting their country. But what was most important was that the Sabbath was starting, that God came first before anything else. And when I thought about the Sabbath and how it was starting, I thought, hmm, isn't this interesting? You know, back in the US, we have our cell phones, we have social media, we have TV, we have all of these distractions around us. And actually, I would say even an atmosphere of complaining that we have around us. And if you're not deliberate and focused, it's so easy to be distracted by what's going on that we miss the main thing to be the main thing. I think in the depictions, it welcomes and it says, focus on God and hear God. Don't get distracted. See God's bigger plan and vision. Get things from his perspective. And you know, when I was, um, when I would play with children, I would say, do you understand? And then I would go like this. Do you see what I see? Do we see? what God sees through God's eyes. And when we see what God sees, it's much easier not to complain. It, it was fascinating to look and say, okay, the crops are burning, bombs are coming over, and the people of Israel kept moving forward. I wonder if we translated our average community there, would we be complaining? Would we remember to keep going? I don't know. But just as the Elkin designed the reliefs, it's important for us to lift to God, to give him more room to handle the challenges of our life. And I want to encourage you today, make sure you have things around you that remind you who you are, remind you who God is. Because in the day-to-day -day life, it's so easy to be distracted, to be caught up with what's going on around us that we can forget. And then it's easy to make decisions on our own and forget God. And like the Israelites, we go on our own path and God has to rescue us. What if we had to be rescued a little less? Wouldn't that be interesting? I'm not talking about you, as, as Rabbi Renee says, I'm talking about the Martians. <laughs> but what if we, in this year, in this new beginning, if we remembered that we could be distracted a little less? You know, in today's Parsha, it, um, there's Adam and Eve, and they are in the garden, and they are beguiled. But as I looked at this menorah, and I thought about the, the Parsha for the week, I said, huh, 
Adam and Eve got distracted. They forgot about who they were. They forgot about God. I wonder what the story would be if Adam or Eve turned around and said, hey, let me, let me just check in with God. Let me see what he says. Serpent, you stay there. Even if they were unsure, if they just checked in, life would have been different. But they didn't. They made their own decision. They went on their own way. Ergo, we are here today. So I would say in 2 Corinthians 5, 3 through 5, it says, For though we walk in the flesh, we are not waging war according to the flesh. For the weapons of our warfare are not the flesh, but have divine power to destroy strongholds. We destroy arguments, every lofty opinion, raised against the knowledge of God, and take every thought captive to obey our Messiah. So today, thank you for letting me share. I hope that you will take time to really take a look at their 30 different reliefs of the menorah. And they are amazing. But I just see it as a reminder of the beautiful history of Israel and opportunities for us to reconsider what are we doing and how are we connected and represented with God. Thank you.